are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Our text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And it reads this way. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none, no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Um, for those of you who are wondering, thanks, bro. No, it's cool. Um, yeah, I'm on crutches, and uh, you should see the other guy. You know, um, had a little uh, meniscal tear in my knee. Went through the uh, outpatient surgery that was um, presented on the front end as a two to three day recovery. Uh, had some complications, found some stuff inside. So now I'm on crutches for the next uh, six weeks, which is why we've decided to go with this setup on a Sunday. So welcome to um, Sunday Morning with America. The band has played me in. We're going to have a few guests and commercial breaks between each sermon point. Uh, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us um, to fervent worship. As the worship goes in the church, so goes the church. Um, thank you, Hunter, for, for praying and for Mark for reading the text. Um, as you've heard, we're stepping into the, the segment of the word of God that speaks to the church at Corinth. And the Corinthian church was a church that um, was dealing with just a number of problems within the congregation. Uh, division, immorality, lawsuits among brothers and sisters, selfishness, um, um, expressed in the abusing of the Lord's Supper. Um, spiritual gifts, Paul's dealing with that. He's dealing with the denials of the resurrection, even other questionable practices within the body. What we see in this church is that, and throughout the entire New Testament, is that the church will inevitably reflect to some extent the society in which it exists. Unfortunately, this church was um, not just maybe shaping culture, but to a much larger degree being shaped by the outside culture. Uh, the redemptive fellowship known as the New Testament church possesses a, a dimension that's unknown to the world. Consequently, the church must not be conformed to its environment. But in this church, you see Paul having to address from afar ways in which they've adopted the ways and the practices and the, the, the ways of moving, the posture of the outside world. And that's the question that we ought to be asking ourselves. How much are we shaping the world around us versus how much is the world around us shaping us? Paul is dealing with these individuals in the church who would consider themselves to be great debaters, 
right? Some people are following Paul, Apollos, Cephas, some other person, some other person saying, I follow Christ. This kind of thing is what you see oftentimes in sports recollections. Remember in uh, the middle of 2017, the NBA Finals, there was this sudden like uprising of this never ending debate between who's better, LeBron James or, or Michael Jordan or, or Kobe Bryant. And it grabbed my attention when thinking about this because that's exactly what you see here. As the years have gone by, um, I've kind of become more of a peripheral follower of the NBA, um, more of a casual observer. But this maddening debate reaches you even if you're on the periphery. All three of these men, Michael, LeBron, Kobe, are different types of players. So they have advantages over one or the other. And um, none of them would match the other in their prime. They're all good basketball players. And I think we should just appreciate the game, the level of excellence that they've displayed for all of us to witness. Here in this letter to the Corinthians, we see something similar taking place. You have a church filled with people gifted, both with skill and wisdom. And the topic of conversation within this church has left the gospel and mutated. It has evolved into debates among members about who's the best person to follow. You see it right there in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And then Paul sort of rhetorically, sarcastically asks what? OK, is Christ divided? If you were truly following Christ, would there be so much division among you? I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination for us to look at this church in the midst of swift transition um, and see the similarities to the church today and even some similarities within our own body. Paul gives us very special insight into the nature of these debates. He refers to them as quarrels, suggesting that the conversations have gone from, you know, casual barbershop banter to mudslinging debates that are causing divisions even within the Lord's body. These arguments over who is the best and who is my favorite were full of such vitriol that people in the same church started deeply disliking one another and forming cliques and rivalries, right? I think that's something that transposes itself right into our modern day. Um, you don't have to go far to see where people land on various topics. I, for one, am trying to uh, convince many people within our body who are misled into thinking that Marvel is better than DC. And I'm doing a lot of good work trying to just war against the spirit of this age. Yet, Paul, on a more serious note, upon hearing this, recognizes one thing above everybody else, above everything else. He says that these people have lost sight of the gospel. Here are a few signs to know that you're losing sight of the gospel. The first thing is that we're telling God how it has to be. There's a phrase called eye swelling, suggesting that um, whenever you're losing sight of the gospel, uh, your language of unity begins to diminish. Instead of we and, uh, and us and our body and Christ for us, it becomes me and my. That's when your eyes are, are swelling and dominating the conversation. That's how you know you're losing sight of the gospel, which is a message to a community of people. It's a message to the entire world. It suggests that we are all being grafted in together to celebrate a Lord who has bought and paid for all of us to be a part of his kingdom. It's trivial things like what songs we sing or how we practice certain traditions or signs of eye swelling, signs of losing sight of the gospel. 
It's like the Old Testament, the children of Israel forgetting that the temple was built for the ark and the ark was not built for the temple. The ark was what housed the presence of God. But sometimes we get so caught up in how we uh, navigate the way and the place from which God gets to hear from us that we forget that, no, um, God hadn't been made for us. We've been made for him and his glory and his pleasure. Another sign of losing sight of the gospel is that prayer begins to cease in favor of posturing. You begin to care less about how you're communicating with the Father, with the Creator, and more about how or whether or not you look like you're communicating, whether you look like you're in tune. It's one of the most potent false gospels in our church. Modern day. Sometimes we're more concerned about the external aspects rather than the real, genuine, the potent recognition that God is here. He's been present in our past. He's been present um, in our present. He will be present in our future, recognizing that we are speaking to a true, a living God. And this word is living and it's breathing. Everybody needs um, a place to hear from heaven. And that's what prayer is. It's a place where we get to hear from the Lord, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be uplifted. But we also need a place where heaven can hear from us, and that's what worship is, which brings me to my next sign of how you know you're losing sight of the gospel. It's when worship becomes routine. It becomes stagnant. It becomes dull. I'm not here... um, you know, canvassing or petitioning that we get like a smoke machine and pyrotechnics and all and lights and stuff like that. But when I say dull, I mean, it's not like you're feeling the the words that are being sung throughout the congregation. It's just something that just goes over your head, just like, oh, yeah, I once was lost, but but now I'm found. Oh, you know, because truly and honestly, we don't get as excited about grace. We're not as amazed by grace as we used to be. We're not as amazed by grace as we are sometimes by wrath. Another sign of uh, losing sight of the gospel is that we as individuals and collectively begin to feel alone. We begin to feel like there is no one for us. There is no hope. There is no one beside us. There is no Lord to bless and keep. There is no balm in Gilead to heal my sin sick soul. Deep down, there's this deep core feeling in our hearts that deep down I got to handle it all by myself. I can confess that uh, through this last week having to rely on crutches and the help of another person to do just the simplest task has really exposed some um, um, deep wounds of maybe uh, being a control freak, wanting to have control all the time, which when you unpack that, there's this deep fear of feeling like I've got it all to myself. I'm by myself. Howard Thurman, the genius scholar, says it this way, that all people need to have a sense of God, a sense of history, and a sense of self. And he frames it in this sort of upside-down triangle that suggests that they all emanate from, they connect to one another. They all feed into one another. He says that when people don't have a sense of God, they definitely don't have a right sense of history, and thus they don't have a right view of, of self, of humanity, of their person. I think that's kind of what we can frame losing the sight of the gospel is. Losing sight of the gospel is losing a sight of God, which inevitably means losing a sight of history and self. That's what we see in this letter. Paul says in uh, verse 26 through 31, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
what he's accusing this church of doing is first and foremost is losing sight of God. And that's what had these people elevating um, people over the message, the man over the message, the method over the message. When you lose sight of God, you always seem to end up lifting up people and personalities. But God addresses them. Excuse me. Paul addresses them thoughtfully, lovingly, yet sternly and declares to them. Here it is. God is the one who chose. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. It was not you. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It was not you. God chose what is low so that what no human being might boast and steal God's glory. Ultimately, that's the uh, sin. That's the core reality of those of us who are losing sight of the gospel, growing dull in our worship, ceasing to pray. We're losing sight of who God is and where our posture stands before him. I remember when I was much younger, some of you heard me tell this story before. I was, um, I was dating a girl in high school, and we uh, were riding to McDonald's. Um, it was Valentine's Day. And the reason we were stopping at McDonald's was because um, I had my little brother with me, and he was hungry. And he was only maybe, uh, maybe three or four at the time. And uh, we're like, we'll get him a little meal, we'll drop him off, and then we'll go out to dinner. And uh, we go through the drive-thru, and I'm thinking that I'm going to save myself later for the dinner. I'm kind of fasting a little bit. But, man, we got in, that, uh, got in that line. I actually went inside, and we got in there, and, you know, I started smelling those French fries. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to order me a, a large fry. We'll share this. And I got him a Happy Meal. And, of course, they, they hand me the bag. We get back in the car. And, um, of course, we're going to give him the meal after we drop him off. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm digging in the bag, eating my, eating my French fries. And all of a sudden, Duhan, my little brother, burst out. I mean, he screams, just, just balls. And so we're looking back like, what's going on? He says, Tay, that's what he calls me, Tay, Tay's eating all my French fries. And so um, I, I just kind of ignore him. And he gets louder, screaming even louder. Tay's eating all my French fries. And so now I, I pull over and I stop because it's not funny to me anymore. And so I say, Duhan, these are not your French fries. But if you want to be like that, I bought your meal, and I bought these french fries, and if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have any fries. Y'all come a little closer. Ultimately, when we lose sight of the gospel, it comes from this deep-seated fear that somebody's going to take advantage of us. We live out of fear as though we're alone and as though the people who are beside us are not, don't have our best interests at heart. And we find ourselves, like my little brother, proclaiming that the people who are for us, who are beside us, who are in our community are somehow going to eat our french fries. But we need to realize this. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't even have no fries to complain about. But yet and still, we're not as amazed by grace as we are by wrath. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of the grace that he's bestowed upon us. So we sing the words amazing grace. How boring the sound that saved a perfect person like me instead of the true meaning, which is suggest that, man, I'm a recipient of, of grace, which is receiving what I had, I did not deserve. And I'm a, I'm a partaker of the mercy of God, which is not receiving what I do deserve. Because I believe that there are people in this room who recognize that there are some things that God has shielded you from that really and truly you had coming to you. That's the essence of mercy. That's what mercy really is. Not receiving your just do what you do reserve, do deserve. And thus, church at Corinth ultimately lose sight of the gospel, which means they lost sight of God. But the second thing was they lost sight of history. That's a direct result of losing sight of God. These people, 
It wasn't thinking about God, which is why they forgot about how bad off they were before the Lord stepped in. See, when you forget where you come from, you end up not having a sense of where you are, or where you're going. Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. This is why the rehearsing of history is important. It's why it directly affects our worship and the fervency, because it gives us an accurate sense of the God and an accurate sense of self. And some people have a sense of God, but it's just not accurate. So their their view on history is just not accurate. Ultimately, when we come in and we proclaim the worth of God, we're pulling back. We're looking back. We're connecting the present and, and looking back into the past, saying there was a God there who has brought us from a mighty long way. But ultimately, in our sort of selfish and sort of individualistic framework of church and Christianity and religion, everything's about the present. We don't have no patience for songs that come from the past, traditions that come from the past. We look back with disdain on the things that the people who came before us, who passed us, who passed this faith down to us. We look with disdain upon that, not recognizing that it was the Lord who saw fit, even in the past, working there to bring us to the present. It's why some of our worship styles and fervency in our worship, it varies from congregation to congregation and culture to culture, because there are cultures that exist and have existed before who have a very keen sense that, man, it's God who has brought us from a mighty long way. As worship goes, so goes the church. So I just want to remind my, my brothers and sisters today that uh, losing sight of God means uh, not losing sight of God also means not losing sight of how God has worked in our past to bring us to the present. When we hold up those 66 books, when we read from um, the Bible, what we're really doing is we're rehearsing history. We're saying that our faith is not just this thing that just came out ex nihilo, just out of nothing. No, it's connected to people who have come before us. It's anthropological. It's a study of how the human condition needs something to worship. There's a God-sized hole within all of us. We all need something to follow. And there are people who came before us who were humble enough or wise enough or smart enough to just say, you know what? I don't know what's best. I'm going to lift up my hand and lift up my eyes to the hills which come with my help. My help coming from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's a posture of someone who is a creature, recognizing that God has created us all. He is the Lord and he's recognizing he is excuse me, reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. And we're just participants. But when you lose sight of God, you lose sight of the God who's been working throughout history before you and I were even thought about to bring us up to this point. And so you can't connect the past with the present in the gospel if you don't have a sense of the future. So this um, um, proto-evangelium, right, the proclamation of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3, it ends all the way in consummation in the future. So when we ask about what is the gospel, it's not just the, um, the coming, the birth, the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It begins all the way in Genesis and ends in the consummation in Revelation. For that's how Jesus presides. That's where Jesus presides over. He reigns supreme over the entire cosmos, which includes its history, its present and its future. That's what we worship. It's who we worship. The Christ who is sovereign over all things. Losing sight of God and losing sight of history leads people all the way out to the left side, all the way out to the right side, down rabbit trails. That's why I've battled oftentimes in the place where I come from, trying to convince people that Christianity is not just the white man's religion. That's an inaccurate sense of God due to a lack of what? Rehearsing history. And others, others have that sense of self, but it's not accurate. Interestingly enough, we rarely are as amazed by grace as we are by wrath. It's why we lose sight of the God who's been working in history 
to bring us to where we are. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah says, Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a man who has seen God. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord and immediately had a better sense of who he was. Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's the posture that we come and we bring into prayer and worship and service. That's an accurate view of self that came from an accurate view of God. Typically, the reason some of us are so dull and, you know, rudimentary and routine when it comes to worship is because we forgot how God has been present in our history to bring us to where we are today. The reason those people in my community think that Christianity has been co-opted and it comes from some... Um, truncated version of uh, supremacy on a racial hierarchy is because they don't know church history. They don't know that Tertullian and Athanasius and Augustine were men from Africa talking about the Holy Trinity before your Jonathan Edwards was even thought about. It is in this northern African history that the restless and the devout Christians found some of the earliest origins proclaiming some of the core truths that we believe. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Yet Christianity becomes a truncated religion when people forget that the same God that brought people through World War I and World War II and slavery and Jim Crow and Reconstruction and segregation and the Civil Rights era. It's the same guy who brings us through the challenges that we face today. Whether it be COVID or unrest or uncertainty, when things seem desperate, when things seem decrepit and broken, when you don't really see the way forward, I encourage you to look back on how God has been present in the past. Whether, it was, or whether we're talking David and Goliath, or whether we're talking the writings of Bonhoeffer, whatever we're talking, I want you to look at the, how God has been present in our past to bring us to where we are now. And that should give you hope for the future, for the eschaton. It's why we sing um, Stone of the Road I've Trod, shaped by the, the chastening rod. It's why we sing Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. It's why I get up here and do a sermoning hymn, Near the Cross, Be My Glory Forever. It's an expression of faith and belief and hope for the future that came from the past and helps us remember that there is a plan that God has for us. It's saying, I have a side of God, I have a side of history, and I know where I stand in that long spectrum of believers. Um, the writer of Hebrews says it like this, we run our race before a great cloud of witnesses who've come before us. Think about the Hebrews Hall of Fame. Well, we have, this, we have a part, we get to partake in that same legacy Abraham and Sarah and David and Moses. Ultimately, remembering the gospel is remembering who God is, who he's been throughout history, and thus knowing who we are. My encouragement for us today as we begin this new year is that we remember that God is sovereign over all things and that he, um, he leads us and he's created us and he's Lord over all of our lives, all of our minds, all of our hearts. So we're not just losing sight over um, God and history, but also self. And that's what happens when you stop rehearsing history. The question remains, do you know who you are? Here's how you can answer that question. When people lack a strong sense of identity, they will always try to realize it vicariously through others. 
That's what you see here in the text. Well, I follow Paul. Well, what are they appealing to? Maybe heritage, you know, um, trained by Gamaliel, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth, eighth day, appealing to heritage and bloodline, you know, uh, these, these earthly tertiary identifiers. Or maybe you're like the other group. Uh, I follow Apollos. What are they appealing to? Their education and their, their intelligence and their, their vernacular and their vocabulary. Right. These things that, that you can you can make and you can develop in yourself. Dr. Teresa Outlaw says it like this. Don't just ask God for simple things like cars, clothes, money and success. Ask God for a hard thing. These people saying, well, I follow Apollos. They're appealing to the things that you can go out and earn your own education, vocabulary, prominence. But then you have another group saying, well, I follow Cephas. I follow Peter. I got I got a zeal for the Lord. I got a zeal so sharp. I'll cut somebody's ear off. Finding their identity in these tertiary expressions of what somebody else has done in the past or what somebody else said on the podcast or what somebody else has proclaimed they'll do in the future. And then you have these people saying, well, I follow Christ, thinking that they're going to separate themselves from the other three groups. And even that personal relationship can be a pitfall. Sometimes we can personalize our relationship right out of community within the body. You heard uh, Hunter sort of pour his heart out saying that in this season, it's so hard. It's so easy for us to seclude ourselves and, and have really good reason to do so. And yet the spirit of Christ brings us into a unity that works to connect with one another through hardship and through life circumstances. So we don't want to be like any one of these four groups. We don't want to find our identity through celebrities and politicians, preachers, worship leaders, sports artists, but we don't also want to find our identity through money, success, our children, right, education, um, our communal activity, or how many followers we have on social media. Forgetting the gospel ultimately is a result of forgetting who really determines who we are. The Bible says that you are washed in the blood of the lamb. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. What he's saying is that you belong to something bigger than yourself, bigger than what you can earn, bigger than what somebody, has, somebody else has handed to you, bigger than uh, what you can uh, conjure up within your own um, talent, but it's also bigger than your teeny tiny version of what you do in isolation, working out this uh, Americanized religion. Forgetting the gospel ultimately is a result of walking in the flesh. Christ calls us to be spiritual people, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says it this way, no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. Man hadn't even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He's quoting a passage in the Old Testament. These things God has revealed through us and through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows what a person's thoughts are except the spirit of that person which is in him. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they, rely, they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spirit teaches us and it leads us into all truth. Ultimately, in order to remember the gospel rightly, we've got to be heeding the third person of the Trinity, the spirit. But more than anything, being spiritual is not being spooky. It's not being um, the person who, you know, shows out on a Sunday morning in a mic. Being spiritual is not the person who you know, has calluses on their knees because every time you see them, they're, they're praying so much more than anything because the spirit is a teacher. Being spiritual is being teachable. 
what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man. These things are not measured by how many butts are in the seats. These things are measured by how, it's not measured by how good the music is on a Sunday. These things are not measured by what's, um, what you do in your heart or how your heart is. These things are measured by how the spirit leads. Are we a people that are spirit led? Are we flexible in that way? Yet there are still people trying to label what is of God with carnal measuring sticks. Ask any minister or local pastor, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, man, we baptized 16 on Sunday. I didn't didn't ask you how many people you baptized. I asked you how you were doing. Perhaps even these redeemable things have become a source of identity. Paul says in Galatians, I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the lust of the flesh. People who walk in the flesh only see what's on the surface. Paul says it this way in Corinthians. I couldn't address you as spiritual people because you are carnal. The Bible says, when one says I follow Paul, another says I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He says, are you not being carnal? Ultimately, remembering the gospel is remembering God and that his identity that he's bequeathed to us is better than anything that we can acquire through natural means. It's more, it's more valuable. It's better to only have Christ and to have all the popularity, all the zeal, all the heritage. He, he says to only have Christ is far better than all the things that the world can throw at you to give you identity and a sense of self-worth and a sense of acclaim. I think that Ultimately, my prayer for us, even as we begin this year, is that all of our activity, all of our work as a body, be to remember internally and remind externally that God has come down, sent his son to die on behalf of sinners like you and me. Ultimately, we want to keep people reminded, remembering and rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, in a couple weeks, we're going to have our men's prayer breakfast. And the aim of that is, is, is partly because, I mean, the ladies were just kind of kicking our butts last year with their events. Men weren't really doing a lot, you know. Um, but, but more importantly, we really want to kick this year off, um, keeping the main thing the main thing. And so on January 22nd at 8 o'clock, we're going to come in and we're going to we're going to pray and we're going to seek God's face for the for like seek his will for us as we move into this next year. Even as we've got so much transition going on in our body, there's maybe some uncertainty there. We want to seek the Lord and come out with clarity. We want to fellowship and uh, seek the kingdom of God first rather than just making every time we gather about how 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 much fun we can have and how much we can uh, kick it. Let's remember the gospel. And remembering that if you have the gospel, you've got the most valuable thing that just extends far beyond whatever the world can offer you. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this spiritual reality that is the church. We thank you that you've called these people from just all these different walks of life to submit to the one true king. And though we are, like sheep, often led astray by the many things that call us and distract us, 
We thank you for a place where we can hear from you and be reminded to come back into the fold to the one true shepherd who leads our lives and who gives his life up for the sheep. Father God, help us to remember. Help us to remember who you've been throughout history. Help us to remember that even when things seem uncertain and there's some just um, doubt, there's a fog surrounding our future, help us to remember that, that you've got us in your hand and you won't let us go. Lord, when we are tempted to value um, ourselves through the framework of what the world says is good or wise or noble, Lord, help us to, to remember your gospel and to treasure that above all other things. We are, we are poor and decrepit and broken, and we are lost if we don't remember your gospel. Ultimately, we have so much in this room, so many talents and personalities. But ultimately, God, all we truly have that we can take with us is you. Help us to remember that there is a bomb in Gilead. Help us to take that with us as we interact with the world around us. Help us to be the salt in the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel.